Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. And you can open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 9 and get pre-positioned for our study in the Word today. Tuesday morning, I'm in my office here in the building, minding my own business. I have my stuff all over my desk. I'm studying and looking my way through the ninth chapter of Hebrews in preparation for what we're doing this morning. And, uh, and while I'm sitting there, we have two life groups, two of our small groups meeting in the building. One's right across the hallway from where the offices are, a men's group there. A ladies' group was meeting over in the, in the uh, banquet room, the other side of the building. And, and uh, suddenly, in the midst of all this peace and quiet, <coughs> the fire alarm goes off. Now, uh, we knew that there was someone working on our air conditioning at the time over in that part of the building. And Joe Moore heads that way toward the, the fire alarm panel and what's going on over there. And I go across the hallway and kind of open the door and they say, should we leave? I said, it's probably a false alarm, but we're going to leave the building. That's just, that's the way we got to do this. So we all went out. So I'm standing out here with the men and uh, it indeed was a false alarm. A guy had pushed something or done something and that happens. And uh, just about the time we get the alarm turned off, here comes the fire truck rolling down Bigley Avenue. Pulls right in front of the building. They get out, they got their oxygen tanks on and their hats and their, you know, like a what, what, that thing, hatchet or whatever that thing is that, you know, to tear through the building. And, and uh, so they come in, they check everything out. And so as they're packing up, the, I, I don't know what, he, he, seemed like the, he seemed like the chief fireman of this little group. And fortunately, we live real close to the fire department, and I thanked them. It was probably like three and a half, four minutes before they come rolling up. It was really quick, so I was thankful for that. And I said, I'm sorry for the false alarm, and I said, but I appreciate what you guys do. And they said, well, we don't mind false alarms. It's just part of the, part of the, you know, part of the scene of being a fireman. And, and, uh, he, and he says, well, you know, just, you just sort of have to be entertained with what's going on. And then he says, recently, he tells me the story. He says, recently, I was in an elementary school classroom teaching the children fire safety. And I asked the children, I said, does anyone here know what a smoke detector is for? One little boy's hand shoots up. He says, yes, what is it? And he says, it's to tell us when dinner is ready. <laughs> that is awfully cute. It's awfully, awfully wrong, right? Uh, ho hopefully it's wrong. Let's assume that's the case. So uh, sometimes we kind of miss the point. And when we're in Hebrews... And it's, it's, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like it's sort of repetitious. It seems like we're kind of going over the same territory, little different angles again and again and again. And that's because sometimes we miss the point. The Spirit of God took this writer into the, into the truths of the Old Testament and, and brings them out in the light of day for us as New Testament believers because we need to be reminded again and again and again constantly because we indeed often miss the point. And part of what he's encourage them to do is don't go back. Don't, don't go back to what you used to have and what you used to hang on to. You are new creatures in Christ. Don't go back. And one of the things that could have driven them back would be that their expectation about life was not being met because, after all, we're followers of Christ. God loves us. God has saved us. And now life is not quite always meeting our level of expectation. We're having some trouble. We're having some persecution. We're having some difficulties. Maybe... We should go back. 
You say, no, don't go back, don't go back. Bring your, bring your expectations into line with what Christ has done for us. And that will reset us so that we, as they, have this opportunity to make sure that we don't miss the point. So salvation has been accomplished for us. That's what we've seen all through this passage, if you've been through this whole book to this point. But our daily expectations should be measured by His accomplishments back at the cross. In other words, what we think, what we feel, how we react, how we respond, what we say should somehow be connected back to the reality that Jesus has accomplished at the cross all the things that have been done for us. In fact, we should come back to this realization. When it comes to what we need, when it comes back to our greatest needs, we can't do it ourselves. It simply resolves down to three words. Jesus, only Jesus. That's where we come back, and that's where we want to get to in our worship today, to come back to that centering reality that our lives, what's going on today, what we worry about tomorrow, what we fret over of the past, what we struggle with, it all needs to be wrapped up in this, what's my hope, what's my anchoring, what's the truth that we stand on, what is our living hope, what is that we cling to, it's simply this, it's Jesus, only Jesus, and that's that's what we get into in the text this morning. Now, he mentions four problems that we have, and we're going to pick it up in verse 16 and finish the chapter today. And I know it looks like that's a lot of, a lot of text to cover, but he really covers just four quick subjects throughout this. So there's four problems, and uh, the first one is simply this. And by the way, as I read through this passage, I want you to be looking for the word blood, Okay. I'm going to pull out some terms, and I want you to be looking if you're reading in your text this morning, because he brings the first one in these verses. Let me read these for you, beginning in verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of a necessity be the death of the testator. Now, let me give you the definition before we go on. The testament is a will. The testator is the person who's writing the will, okay? And some of you have wills. If not, get a will. It's probably a good thing to have. But uh, that is just a piece of paper until you die, and then that becomes something significant when you're dead. Up until the point in which you die, you could change it, you could alter it, do anything you want with it, but once you die, that document says what's going to happen to all of your stuff, all of your assets, what's going to happen. So he's saying, you understand this, a new covenant, a testament, by the way, testament, covenant are interchangeable terms, and that's what he's been talking about. This covenant that God has made with us only goes into effect when somebody dies. That's an important point. Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without, there's our word, blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and with waters, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. And you can find this back in... In the, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, that, that when they accepted the, 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 the covenant that blood was sprinkled both on the people and on the, the covenant itself, those tables of stone. Verse 20, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost, things, almost all things are purified with blood. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Basically, he's calling in their Jewish roots here. He's calling on their Jewish tradition, which they knew. So he says, this new covenant 
requires two things. Someone has to die before the covenant is enacted. And secondly, it has to be with the shedding of blood. Because you remember in your Old Testament, you remember in your faith, you remember in your Jewish truth that everything was sanctified by blood. The problem we face is we cannot do that ourselves. We have no ability. We are, de we are defective in dealing with sin because we are sinners. It required a perfect sacrifice. So what is necessary to save us was someone had to die and someone had to shed their blood and be fully qualified to do so. Here's the problem summed up in verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Remission means removal of sin. So we have a problem. It requires the requirement of blood. So where does that leave us? Where are we now? If you've come to the point that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you come to the point where you say, I know I can't be saved because I'm a sinner, I recognize that, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, and I put my faith in Him. When it comes to the need of blood being shed, it comes down to Jesus. Only Jesus. So the fact of the matter is, this requirement has been fulfilled in Jesus, and we need to understand that, and that should affect our expectations today. If he loved, I mean, how, how, Jesus said it this way, greater love has no one. In other words, this is the pinnacle of love. Greater love, has no man, no, no, greater love has no man than a man lay down his life for his friends. I mean, what more could you give? What more could you offer? What, more, what, what greater gift could there be? Jesus loved you so much. God the Father loved you so much that he gave. And the Spirit empowered the situation so much that He made sure that there was the shedding of blood so that there would be the remission of sins. And that occurred on the cross. If He loved you then, does it not, does it not flow to the fact that He loves you now? When we need what we need today, He loves us now. I want to encourage you to simply do this with that regard. Be thankful about that. Be thankful. Say, thank you, God. Thank you. Uh, that should be really a daily thing. Thank Thank you that I'm saved. And then believe that He's not going to stop the flow of goodness into our lives. It doesn't mean it's always going to meet our expectation, but it's going to meet His work in us and what we need to see that fulfilled. And sometimes it's just as simple as we're not looking for the blessings and not looking for His work in our lives. Back during the pandemic, we remodeled one of our half-bathroom in our house, and I bought a faucet and put in this little sink that's in there. And a year or so later, it, it's kind of got this black enamel on the, on, the, on the metal, and it started coming off. And I tried to paint over it. That was a disaster. Didn't work. It just kept falling off. And finally, I remember just a few weeks ago, I think, I think that thing had a lifetime warranty. So I went back looking through my Lowe's receipts from 2020 and finally found it. And I found the number, and I called the, the, the faucet company up, and they said, yes, indeed, that has a lifetime warranty. We will send you a new knob. It's not a handle in that collar. It'll take seven to ten days to get there. Yesterday, Julie and I were driving back from uh, where we had been, and I said, you know, it's been about ten days, and that faucet has, handle hasn't arrived. <sighs> they told me I was going to get a faucet. That's what I'm thinking anyway. They told me I was going to get a faucet handle. So this morning, I get up, and I'm realizing, you know what? I didn't check the mail yesterday. I know it didn't, wasn't delivered today on Sunday, so it was delivered yesterday. I go out, open it up, and there's this box in my mailbox. I'm like, what is this? I didn't order anything. 
I open it up, and it's the faucet handle has been there before I complained about it not being there, and it was already there because Jess didn't look. Sometimes the blessing is there, we're just not looking because we're, we're covered over with all the junk and the stuff and the feelings and whatever. Jesus, only Jesus, is the lover of our souls. The second problem unfolds beginning in verse 23. It was necessary that the copies of things in the heavens should be purified with things, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ, was, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Secondly, the problem is it was a requirement that needed something real, not a copy. It was something that had to be real. The, the whole Old Testament worship system was a copy. It was a symbol. It was a picture. It was an illustration to tell us that we are sinners, that God is holy, we need a Savior, that required blood sacrifice. So when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist looks at him coming to be baptized, he says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The reality is this requirement is upon us. And what does he say here? He says, and it says, Verse 24, but Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies, the earthly tabernacle, and we've studied this before, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God. He entered into the, not to the holy of holies that was on this earth, he entered into the holy of holies, whereas we've already described in song, the God who is surrounded by the constant throbbing echo of all of the creatures gathered there, that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, one who is worthy to receive all of our praise. He entered into this heavenly place. Now, look at verse 24 again, 25 again, 24 again, excuse me. To appear in the presence of God, last prepositional phrase. Do you see it there? For us. For us. It's not a place that he hasn't been before. It's not a place that he is uncomfortable. It's not a special event for the Son of God to enter into the Holy of Holies in heaven itself. But the amazing thing that transacts us is he does it for us. He represents us there. On behalf of us, the sacrifice was complete and we are saved in him. I suspect that if every one of us in this room tried to name the name of every one of us in this room we'd probably feel a little bit at a deficit to do so, wouldn't we? Look around, try it for a moment. No, I'm not going to do that. When we go over to our picnic this afternoon, we're all going to put on name tags. It's going to help us today, okay? And, that's, and don't, don't feel bad you don't know someone's name. But you think about this. Our names are not known by that many people. But it's in common use in the halls of heaven on the lips of Jesus himself. When it comes to this life, Jesus only Jesus. The next one flows from that as well. So he's appeared in heaven, verse 25. Not that, and now here's the, I want you to listen for the word often and once, okay? Those two words, all right? That's what you're listening for. Copies is what we listened for the last time, but now we're listening to often and once. Verse 25, now that he should offer himself, excuse me, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, 
He then would have to also suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The requirement is a once sacrifice, not an often sacrifice. The problem is seen in verse 27. He kind of goes through the solution, then he kind of encapsulates the promise with the next phrase. And by the way, don't be shocked by this. We, we really are not shocked by it, but sometimes we like to pretend like this is not a reality. But it is appointed for men to die once. George Bernard Shaw, the famous author, once said, the statistics on death are absolutely amazing. One out of every one dies. And friends, apart from Jesus Christ coming back in our lifetime, you and I are not going to beat those odds. Let me just take a moment and say this to you. You have an appointment. We have appointments all the time. I had an appointment on Thursday. I my schedule was kind of difficult that day. I just text and say, not going to make it next week. Come back, got a new appointment, all's good. We make them, we break them, we forget them, we keep them. But there's one appointment that's on someone's calendar, not ours. But the calendar of Almighty God. And you know what? Somewhere we have an expiration date stamped on somewhere on us. And we are not going to live beyond that, appoint, that, that point because it is an appointment. God knows. God's aware. God has provided for us to be ready for that moment. And I just simply, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to coerce you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. This is simply the truth. Are you ready when that appointment comes? You can't be ready. Well, by, well I've tried really hard. Insufficient. The priests went in every year at the Day of Atonement and offered sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. They tried and tried and tried and tried and said, nope, it can't be often, it's got to be once. And if you've never put your faith in Him, would you at least give some consideration of your heart and mind of saying, what's it going to be like for me when that appointment rolls up on God's calendar? It's pointed to die, man wants to die, and it says even more kind of startling is the rest of that verse, but after this, the judgment. It's not just, well, we die and all is good. No, the judgment. The disposition of our eternal soul for all eternity, unchanging. That judgment will either be enacted on us by a condemnation in a place of torment, or it will already, it's already been laid on Jesus when he died on the cross, and our faith in him brings that to bear for us. Requirement once verse often. The fact that the requirement requires a real versus a copy. I want to just encourage you this. Be assured. Be assured. If this is an open question for you, why don't you talk to one of us or talk to a Christian friend or family member that maybe you came with that knows about these things and just show you in the scriptures. Listen to what God says. Because it is appointed unto man and wants to die, appointed a man to die once and then comes the judgment. Be ready for that. If you're a believer, find your assurance in that. Because sometimes we feel like this happened, therefore I don't feel very loved, therefore did God let me down. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the thought process. This happened, I don't feel very loved, maybe God's love, maybe I've been forgotten, maybe whatever, and we get, we, our assurance gets rattled. 
Well, our daily expectations should be measured not by what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. We need to run back to the cross and measure it by what he's accomplished. Sometimes the, sometimes the smoke detector goes off and we think it's dinner time. We're, we're, sometimes we're that level of off base. But be assured in him. That's why it's important to read the scriptures often and to be refreshed by them. Just Oftentimes, I know when we're having devotions, it's just sort of like, well, that's an obvious thought, but we needed to think it again. To kind of remorse, re-rivet us, re-establish us back to the cross. So that's three of the four problems, okay? The requirement of blood, only Jesus can take that away. The requirement of the real versus the copy, the requirement of once versus often, accomplished in Jesus. Now, I want you to look down at verse 24 again. We're going to kind of ramp back up to where we were, all right? Um, this actually started in 27. And it's appointed for men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once, there's that word again, to bear the sins of many. Here the problem is, it's something only he could do. It's something that he had to do, and if he didn't do it, we are lost for eternity. So we are dependent on him. So the requirement is his work, not ours. For us to have this relationship, it is... His responsibility, not ours. It is His action, not ours. And by the way, I'm convinced that the greatest lie that Satan kind of perpetrates and inserts into mankind, and, and you understand, most of the people in the world are religious in some fashion or another, or spiritual in some fashion or another. People who are declared atheists are a very minimal, part, small part of the, of the uh, population, and I wonder about them too sometimes. But, but every nation, every culture, everything, there's, there's religion, there's spirituality. That means it's the truth because Satan can make people feel better by doing something religious that seems like I'm earning my way before a god or a deity or whatever spirit out there in, in, in reality. But what he inserts in there, which is the fundamental poison of it all, and that is you can be good enough to go to heaven. You can do things to go to heaven when really it comes down to this. When it comes to going to heaven, it requires Jesus. Only Jesus. That's why it says, He offered once, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. If He's bearing your sins, if he, that means He took the weight off of you and put it on Himself. To the point that when He's on the cross, He cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he cried in his final cry, it is finished. And our weight of sin was put on him. Now, that future reality should have some impact in our today. And this is, what I, this is kind of where I really wanted to land, all right? There's a word that you're going to see in the middle of verse 28. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Note the word eagerly. Is there something you're eager for? Maybe you're eager to get next door where we can have this great meal together. Maybe your, your eagerness is for this guy to stop talking so I can get out of here. Maybe that's your eagerness. Uh, maybe your eagerness is for some event coming up, some life-changing event. If I could just make it till I graduate. I'm eagerly awaiting the arrival of that child. I'm eagerly awaiting that grandchild. I'm eagerly awaiting my next vacation. I'm awaiting a promotion. I'm waiting when the business gets off the ground. I'm awaiting when I can get these kids raised. I'm waiting to the moment when I can retire, whatever it is. Here's what should be 
the primary eagerness of our life. Look what he says. Eagerly wait for him. This eagerness should flow through us. That, that's an emotion. That's a, that's a response. You know, there's a few things I'm not eager for, you know, for to, to be coming down the pike. But I'm looking forward to this. It's a positive emotion. We eagerly wait for him to appear. And this is really one of the few times this far in, in, in Hebrews that he's not been talking about the past, but he talks about the future. He's going to come back and take us to be with himself. And that we will be part of that throng gathered around the throne that says, worthy is the land, receive power and wisdom and glory and blessing, all those things. And serve him in that venue. And the second time, apart from sin. Why is it apart from sin? Sin was dealt with the first coming of Jesus. This time, for salvation, to fully enjoy that. Enjoy the experience of being with him. Do you ever think about how long you may live? Now, for some of us, it's like, what? Well, that's a crazy thought. Well, you understand the longer you live, the less time you have on this earth, right? I mean, that's just, is that a reality? And uh, I, I sometimes, I think, I, in some ways, when a person is conceived, it's like a stopwatch starts counting down to that expiration date. For us as believers, here's the great news. That's not to be feared. That's to be eagerly waiting for. Not, not, not that we want to go out early, we want to accomplish what God has for us, but we know when that time comes, we have this assurance, we have this thankfulness, we, we're eager for that. And you know what? We should be eager to find him at work in our daily lives. My challenge to you is to be looking, to be leaning forward, to be anticipating. What does God have for me today? And sometimes we don't know what it is because it's still in the mailbox. We haven't seen it yet. Maybe it hasn't arrived, or maybe we haven't seen that it has arrived. But he wants to bless. He wants to take care of you. He wants to be in your life. And he says, with eagerness. Oh, that I could wake up every morning and start with that kind of eagerness for him today. And the eagerness to know that someday, as it says in this text, he will appear a second time. Friends, let's live with eagerness. Because all of the requirements have been fulfilled. The requirement of blood, the requirement of real, the requirement of wants, the requirement of his work, not ours. Worship him today. Believe him today. Serve him today. If you don't know him, come to him for salvation today. And let's be eager for him today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these blessed, blessed truths that you've inserted into the text before us. Lord, help us to eagerly wait for you, anticipate you, lean on you, trust in you. Lord, we want to worship you, we want to serve you, we want to be your children, we want to be your servants. Thank you for all that has been accomplished. Accomplished through Jesus, only Jesus, the one in whose name we now pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks too for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.